Well, we actually have a sponsorship for this podcast now. You can check out Ditchfield Farm on Facebook and Instagram. They're currently selling top quality firewood, which is great for the winter months. Hello and welcome back to our podcast, Swings and Roundabouts. Today we have another guest and today he is Josh's uncle. Hi, Uncle Neil. Hi, up, mate. George, you forgot... All right, George. George, you forgot the name of the podcast again, didn't you? (laughs) Is that the third time now? No, 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 no. Okay. Totally didn't, totally didn't. How are you doing, George? All right. Good. I'm all right. How, how are you, mate? Um, I'm okay. Well, we've oh, that's good. we've got a guest today, as we and we didn't do a podcast last week, which was a shame. Um, it's just me, George, and Neil today. My uncle Neil. So uh, we've not got a Cameron for this one. Um, we've got some questions that we're going to ask him about his life and things that he's done um, as he's old. Um, <laughs> uh, no, you're not that old, are you? No, I'm, I'm not even at middle age yet. Well, uh, we've got some, we've got some questions for you anyway. So um, I'm gonna I'm gonna start it off. Um, so in 2012, I think it was, you went travelling. Um, right. Where did where did you travel to? What countries? Because I always get this wrong. You're very good at announcing countries I've visited when. But not actually the countries I've visited. Um, Didn't need to say that. 2012, I threw a rucksack on my back and I booked a flight one way to Southeast Asia and I visited Thailand, Laos, Vietnam and Cambodia. And what what like route did you take going in between them and things like that? Um, flew into Bangkok because that's where everybody starts off. Um Went to the south of Thailand first because it's like a holiday place to go to. Um, very quickly we realised we couldn't stay down there very long because we were treating it like it was a holiday and spending a lot of money that was meaning we weren't going to survive very long. And we had five months to go. So we went back up to the north of Thailand from there, um, across into Laos. Uh, we spent three weeks in the same place in Laos, but I have a feeling I might have to expand on that in a little minute. From Laos, we went to Vietnam, um, from the north down to the south, and then into Cambodia, and then back into Vietnam. So no, I'm lying. Not back into Vietnam, back into Thailand. Hmm. Uh, Did you have any uncomfortable journeys, like going in between places? Like, was there any that maybe were difficult to get to, or...? Yeah. Um, you've obviously been talking to someone. I'm going to gamble it to your mum. Uh, yeah, my mum's um, giving me most of these questions. <laughs> yeah, um, one particular journey sticks out in my mind. We were on a bus for 36 hours, um, <sighs> travelling from a place called Luang Prabang in Laos, heading up to Hanoi. This in sounds like George. Vietnam. This sounds like George trying to spell in English. <laughs> Thanks. Um, the the problem is with these buses because you're going to be on them overnight they call them sleeper buses and they have nice little reclined seats that are good for lying down in Yeah. but think about where we are in the world and there's not many 6 foot 4 people from that region so these these buses are made to be dead comfortable for for people of up to about 5'10 
Oh, George, um, you'd fit in. Oh, a, bit, a little bit taller than me. Yeah. George, you're five four, yeah. lad. I'm five five. No, you're not. We've been through this. You're five four. Yes, I am. Okay. No, I'm five five. Okay, you can be five five. Yeah. No, the, the the issue is you've got to spend thirty six hours basically lay down, and it weren't nothing pleasant about it. Um, it. The driver's forever honking on his horn, which seems to be standard over there. You can't move. You can't sit up straight because there's not enough space above your head. It was just 36 hours of hell. And then just before we got off the bus, the owner of the, the bus company phoned the driver, who then gave me his phone, and in half English, half Vietnamese, told me, be careful when you get off the bus because there's mafia everywhere. <laughs> That's not great. And we rocked up at half past, half past midnight in the middle of, of the night, just in the middle of nowhere at a bus station. And there's like taxi drivers almost fighting with each other to try and get our business. Wow, yeah. that's not what. So is that so is that to get money off you then? They just want the job. Um, it was a bit funny because there was only four of us left on the bus. Only four of us made it all the way to. When I say made it, I don't mean like people were getting yeah. knocked off and chucked out the doors and stuff. They just stopped in here, there, and everywhere on the way. Yeah, and there was only four of us. And it was me and my travelling partner and then an American guy and don't remember where the other fellow was from, but they were travelling together as well. And we kind of just picked two taxis and jumped in and randomly in the middle of Hanoi the next day, we bumped into these guys. Our taxi driver had took us all the way around the world, which I expected he was going to do. It still only cost us about 15 quid, but yeah. it probably should have cost us about £2. Yeah. Um, their taxi driver just took them straight there and charged them £50 equivalent and wouldn't let them out of the cab until they paid it. That's so he, obviously, he ended up in a con man's cab and I ended up in a half con man's cab. <laughs> a, a con man, but, well, yeah. but, but also... A sympathetic con man. <laughs> yeah, a, a fairish one. He has got some yeah. sympathy. He, he gave me a bottle of water <laughs> as well, though. Oh, that's nice. Probably charge you a tenner for that. That's probably what it would have cost. Yeah. Yeah. So George, are you just gonna Next sit question. you're just gonna sit there, George, or Right, sorry. I was just enjoying the story. Um Fair so, why did you want to travel in the first place? Right. Um it was something I'd always talked about doing, always thought about doing, but never really expected that it was going to happen um but it was my birthday and one of the presents i got from my birthday was a skydive and drove all the way over to somewhere in lincoln to be told i was four pound too heavy to do the skydive and oh that it was it was when i was on the way back that thought you know what a bit of money in the bank. Um, the lease is up on the house. We don't have to renew. Let's do something crazy. And I was earning decent money at the time. I was able to, to, you know, yeah, decide there and then. This is a realistic thing to do. And off we went, and and we did it. And I think that was on the. 
20th of May and we flew out on the 1st of August. Mm. I don't I don't really remember much from when you went away. Like I didn't realize you were gone for as long as you was. Well, when, how old was you, Josh? In two thousand and twelve. I was born in two thousand and four. So I was I was exactly. eight. Exactly. I was eight. Yeah. So I won't remember it anyway. Um. Oh, you could fa- no. you could vaguely remember. I remember him coming back, <laughs> and I remember you getting me this. I remember you getting me this little book which had like I don't know where it was from, but where you got like my mum and that it was this book and it had like. A, a little journey from where you was at the time and it had like did you roll in some wheels or something like that and you went into some wheel yeah so like inside a wheel and rolled in it or something or am i just making that up i think you're making that up josh is that like when i've been <laughs> the philippines and in indonesia i think yeah and you got you got us a little book Not rolling in a wheel oh there was there's something to do with a wheel they got. They, they, I know they, it had a photo of you and the, another person in a tuk tuk. Yeah. If you okay. remember the book that I'm on about, sense. if you remember the book I'm on about, it was like a handmade yes. one. And did it just have loads of photos in it? Yeah. Yeah, that was a present your mum got me. With ex- <laughs> no, no, because it, it was, was like it was stitched. <laughs> It was stitched. A book. Yeah, it was like a. St- it was like st- it was like you'd brought it back with you. It was in like terrible English. It was like we, we went tuk tuk, around this place. <laughs> I'll have to dig it out. I'll have to. I'll have you to will, dig it out from somewhere. As, en- as entertaining as this is for all the listeners, I think we're probably going to have to move on. Yeah. I um, don't know, Josh. Okay. So. So, what would you say your favourite travel experience was? Oh, wow. Okay. On that trip, favourite travel experience. There were so many. Um, I think how I summed it up when I come back was amazing, got boring, because it was amazing every day. Certain places that you went to. I mean, we, we went trekking in the jungle in the north of Thailand waking up to to all the noises that go on in the jungle in the middle of the night that was something else um we spent a lot of time volunteering in 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 laos and and building what we built there for for the local community mm-hmm. that was incredible um Heilong bay in the north of vietnam absolutely unreal um in fact, one one of the most standout things for me was we was traveling down the coast of Vietnam. We um, we did the Top Gear thing in reverse. The guys from Top Gear ridden motorcycles from the south to the north. Yeah, uh, basically trying to do trying to achieve what the Americans couldn't. Um, and we ridden the bikes from the north to the south, and we stopped off in in one small town called Hoi An. And there's a tradition uh, on the river where as they float candles in in little paper boats out down the river yeah and we didn't know it was like a a big annual ceremony or as far as i was aware it was an annual ceremony held they could do it every friday for the tourists for all i know but yeah i was only there this one time and um we walked around the corner 
and all of a sudden there was just thousands of these little paper boats. It was as if everybody from the town had come out in the middle of the night and set a candle alight and put it in a boat and just let it drift off down the boat. And it was just one of them like surreal moments. You think, what, yeah. what have I stumbled into here? Um, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. That was un- unbelievable. Um, all in all, I that think... must have been a one in a lifetime experience. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, it, and the whole the whole thing collectively was was just out of this world. It changed me who I was. I was one of them guys who always had mm. to know what time, where we were going, what the plan was, who's coming, etc., etc. And me. when I come back, it was just I'm like that. Totally the <laughs> it must run in the family, mate. Yeah. Um, it, I was just totally the opposite. I was so so laid back about things. It it was unbelievable. Um, I I think that the absolute standout for me was we went to an island off the coast of. Uh, a place in Cambodia called Schnuckville. Now, Schnuckville itself is not a very nice place, but the islands that was out there, um, we went out to an island, and all that was on the island was 12 bungalows, a dorm, and a wooden bar. And this thing was set on a, a, a south-facing beach in like a horseshoe cove. And the sun raised just off the point to the left, and it set just off the point to the right. There was no power other than from six till midnight. There was no internet. There was absolutely nothing. Um, and when you rocked up there, you went. If you had to get a boat out there with your with your rucksack, and it's only when you're getting off the boat you think, "Hang on, what if he doesn't come back? We're stuck out here. We're going to have to like do our own little castaway movie and and learn how to survive." But you walk off the, down this path through the jungle, and you come out on the other side, and you're like, "Oh, this looks alright." You walk into the bar and it's buzzing with loads of people. Uh, this whole thing's built out of wood. Um, you go to the bar and you ask if they've got any rooms. Yeah, okay, bungalow, etc. So how long are you staying for? And I said, two days. And he just laughed and said, okay. And two weeks later, we were still there. It's just a place you didn't want to leave. In yeah. the daytime, it was incredible. The weather was fantastic. At the nighttime, we tended to do a night on a night off. It was a party night, a recovery night, a party night, a recovery night. Um, but in the bay in the night, they had that uh, that plankton that glows up when you disturb it. Oh, yeah. And it's only waist deep. Unfortunately, yeah. Josh, it is a beach, so you wouldn't be interested in it. But I'll just put, I'll just put When you go on. out into the sea, when you go out into the sea, particularly in the dark, obviously you need to just be prepared for... You know, it's a bit unnervy, but then all of a sudden, all of the water just starts to glow around you because the plankton's lighting up. I can't think what it's called. It's got a name. I'm not going to embarrass myself by pronouncing it wrong. Um, and you're just swimming. And as you swim in, you're just, it's glowing all around you. It was, yeah, yeah, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Is this is this something, like the, this whole travelling thing? Because what an amazing I've... experience. I've always, yeah. I've always, because I don't think we've ever actually spoke about like this, because I was just well, too young. I wasn't, but, allowed, I wasn't allowed to for a long time, mate. Um, but I found this. <laughs> no, not for a long time. I found this like I find this like really interesting, and it's definitely something that I'd be interested in. Would you recommend doing the trip that you've done, or something quite similar? Like, how much do you think it changes your life doing something like that? The thing is, 
when I come back, we come back just before Christmas. And I remember being in, because I give the house up and everything. So I was back at, uh, at my mum and dad's. So I was back at you, you know, yeah. and granddad's. And it was Christmas Day. And I'd just been over to this side of the, the world where, okay, there's, there's a lot of money invested in tourism and things like that. But when you was in some of the areas I was in, you saw a lot more of, of the real side of them countries. Yeah. And a lot of the people that was there that we saw didn't have a hell of a lot. Mm. Um, they exploited it in some cases by, you know, you had to be careful. There were scams and all kinds that yeah. would try and get money out of you. But I then come home and it was actually watching you in my mum and dad's on Christmas Day opening all your presents. You know, you're age eight, nine, I can't, you know, yeah. there or thereabouts. You probably just turned nine, actually. Yeah, well, um, And you was running, running backwards and forwards, opening all your presents over the moon. And I'd just come back from somewhere where people just didn't have anything. And, you know, it's always the same in, in Nan's house at Christmas, presents piled up as high as you can see. Yeah. And I just thought, this, you know, what a different situation what a privileged situation we are all in all of us over here you know we all live in not most of us live in brick houses we've got safe homes we're secure we're fed and that wasn't necessarily the case where i'd just come from mm. so it was very humbling very humbling and like i said it already changed who i was but it was an education there's things I'm always talking about from what I learned when I was over there and experiences that I had. Um, it taught me how to communicate because I can't speak any of them languages. Yeah. I can't speak Thai or Vietnamese or, or Laos or Cambodian. No, but a lot of them speak bits and pieces of English, but not in some of the areas I was in. So you learn to communicate however you can, and that's something that's stood me in, in, a, in a good forward um, momentum, even up until now with what I do for, for a living and things. So I would absolutely recommend everybody to consider if, you know, if they're that type of person yeah, um, to get to get on with it. You know, I booked a flight out there and that was it. I didn't know all the plants and, and off I went. If you're that type of person, you're a bit level-headed, absolutely. Don't ever miss the opportunity to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've definitely put, you definitely had a really good, like, you've described that really well, and, and definitely someone that would be interested in travelling. I think if they heard that, they'd definitely, like, they wouldn't think twice about doing it. It'd just be a given. Yeah. No, and it should be. It should be. I didn't know anybody, but I knew one guy who'd been and done something similar, um, and that was a, a friend's brother, and he just said to me, it's dead easy. You don't need to worry about it. You, you'll panic for the first three or four days and then just, like, drop in. He said, and wherever you go and wherever you're going, you pass people who have been and done that and they can give you information and give you advice and send you in the rough direction of what you need to be doing. Yeah. And it was true. It really was. Yeah. It's a, it's a shame that with COVID now, that if, Wait. like... If, if like, say, me and George was to do something like that or, you know, like us and our other mates, um, it'd be it'd, it'd be quite difficult now with travelling for, for us. It, it would right now, definitely. But, you know, it's... 
the world will learn to live with COVID and things like this will, will carry on and there will be a new normal. Sure, there'll be things that'll be done a bit differently. Yeah. I suspect we're all going to end up with like health passports that says, yeah, I've had the vaccination or yeah. something along them lines. Um, and it'll be like a, like a visa or a stamp or something in your passport. Yeah. And that, that'll avoid you the quarantine and things like that. Yeah. Um, well, we'll show, I think we'll move on to our next question then. Um, it's still travelling based. We've still got a few more which are travelling because we, we want to get to know like the full ins and outs. So we want to know the good parts and the bad parts. So what would you say your worst experience whilst okay. travelling was? Um, some of the journeys, the bus journeys were terrible, but at the same time, it was an experience in itself. Yeah. Um, there was never any point where I felt like I was in trouble or in danger. Yeah. I know a lot of people have said that they have had that happen, um, and they have done, and people, you know, anywhere in the world you can get mugged and things, but yeah, nothing like that happened to me. Um, the thing they say about Thailand is Thailand is, is the land of a thousand smiles. Yeah. Well, my interpretation of that is, yeah, the Thais will look at you in the face and smile, and that's because they know that the that their mates picking your pocket from behind and you can't see them. Yeah. We we suffered a little bit of that kind of thing on one of the buses whereas where when they opened the bus to, to reach in and, and get your bags out, my bag was on the top and I know that my bag shouldn't have been on the top. And when he lifted it out and, and gave it to me, something rolled off to the side. And I just like took my bag, put it on the floor, gently but firmly ushered him to the side to put my head under the bus in, yeah. in the luggage compartment. And I seen what had rolled off my bag, and it was a pair of socks. Yeah, They weren't my socks. Um, there was actually a pair of girls' socks. And I thought, well, that was a bit odd. And when I looked just to the right, there was a little shelf underneath. And on top of there was a number of items that had been taken out of people's bags and put on the shelf. Wow. including a pair of my Calvin Klein boxer shorts. And I'd heard the stories, but I didn't necessarily believe any of it until this happened. And yeah. it seems like there had been somebody under the bus in the luggage compartment the whole journey. Yeah. And they'd been rifling through the bags, taking what they thought was worth taking and what they could either make mm. money of or use of or things like that. What? So I, I then announced it to everybody and I just picked up my Calvin Klein boxes, threw them in this guy's face and said, if you want my dirty pants, keep them. <laughs> and as I walked so away, it was then like a load of ants. Everybody just like dove in to see what else was in there underneath yeah. and I just walked so I felt like I'd just thrown a grenade over my shoulder and walked off from a, like a, an explosion yeah. like the Power Rangers when they walk away once they've like transformed or something in the suit oh my days Josh you had to you had to yeah, well that's what it's like to. isn't you it just kept the, like a cool you had to oh. Power Rangers are cool alright mate <laughs> no that, that that's definitely like you feel like you've done something there, like yeah. no, but it's that's that's something that again, as much as all the positive things stuck with me, yeah, that that completely and utterly, you know, put a lack of trust in probably a lot of people, not just the Thai bus drivers who did it, but yeah, I was then questioning everything. Um, but I was prepared for it. I had nothing of value other yeah. than 
designer boxer shorts in my rucksack. Yeah. I had a second bag that went with my all my passport, all my yeah. you know wallet and cash and um, iPod because that's what we used yeah. to listen to back then. All of that was in a little bag that I used to take on with me. So yeah. So was you like so you was so like if I, if someone was to do it, would you probably recommend to try and keep the bags on them at all times? Always have a second bag. Have, have a valuable bag that you keep on your person that you never put underneath the bus. Okay. Put your dirty washing in your rucksack under the bus. Yeah. Um. It, so if you could, if you could pick a place to travel to again, where would it be, and why? Again. Out of them countries. Yeah, do out of them countries for now because uh. there's there's more countries that I want to get on later work wise. Okay. All right. Um, Fair enough. I'll do them in like order. I think Thailand would be the last place I would visit again mm. in the manner that I did. Yeah. There's certain places in Thailand that I would definitely love to visit for different reasons. Um, but going, doing the traveling aspect, you've got to do it because it's like everybody's rite of passage to traveling and backpacking. You've got to go and yeah. try Thailand. But I would go do the bits that are important and then get across the border. Um, Lao was amazing, but we stayed. We we missed a lot of Lao. Um, we did the whole jump in a tractor in a tube and float down the Mekong River, getting drunk every hundred yards in a different bar. We did that, and that was fantastic. But we didn't do too much venturing in Lao because we volunteered in doing it on a project for a few yeah. weeks. Vietnam was incredible. It really was. Um, I would like to say that. The island in Cambodia would be a place I would return to in a heartbeat and I'd go back again and again and again. But a French company bought the island and they bulldozed it all, so unfortunately that's not there anymore. No, oh, that's sad. Yeah, killer. Absolute killer. Um, I'd have to say Vietnam, I think. Some of the places I visited in Vietnam were was unreal. Hmm. I'd go back there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking now. And just waiting. Yeah. And I'm just waiting for George to look at his phone to realise that it's his question. <laughs> I know, but I was waiting for everyone to finish because I'm a little bit behind. It's all right, I've got mate. a little bit of lag. Um, so, uh, you briefly spoke about this before, so I would like a, a detailed answer, please. Um, you, apparently, you helped build a, pro, a playground... Uh, while you were travelling, what what was that like? Okay, it was a bit of a strange one, to be honest. Um, we saw a flyer pinned up in the main street. Uh, Luang Prabang is you have to take two days on a on a boat down the Mekong to get to this this town. You can go on the roads, but it's not advised. Um, it's lovely. It was like a real French feel to it, not just because of the name, but even the way the buildings were. It was. It was very uh, like French styling, and it was a it was a really nice place. They had a lovely market through the town, um, and we saw this this sign asking for volunteers. And I thought, what's the options here? And in short, if you volunteered and helped them do what they needed you to do, they would give you a bed and feed you two out of three meals a day. Yeah. Um, and when we inquired, it was building a playground. And we went to go and speak to the guy, and he said, what are your plans? And when I said to him, well, we're going to 
we'd like to volunteer. We'd, we'd love to get involved. I'm, I'm more than capable of, of doing pretty much anything you might need me to do. Um, and then we're going to move on to Vang Vieng to go and do the tubing down the Mekong. And the guy said to us, go and do that first and come back in a week. He said, because everybody you meet will tell you how good the tubing is. And you'll be thinking, oh, I want to get there. I want to get there. So we did that. And when we come back, he'd recruited a full team. Yeah. There was um, myself and, and my traveling partner, um, both English. There was two an Austrian couple. There was an American guy who had the coolest name ever, Pablo Rivera. He's like a superhero name. Yeah. Um, it, his Chinese girlfriend, which was a bit of a strange situation. Uh, okay. The French girl and a German lad. And it was a proper mix. But very quickly we, we clicked, we got on, and we were building a playground. It was all made from, from natural materials wherever possible. And it was like raw, raw tree timbers straight from straight from the ground, cut down on a wagon and delivered to the front of this site. And we spent three weeks building this playground. The the owner of, of, of the land was actually a Belgian fellow who'd married a, a local a local woman. And they'd opened this preschool and the playground was, was in the land for this preschool. And it was a very unique design that the guy had. And yeah, we was working there. It was treacherous, torturous conditions because it was all muddy in the ground where we were working and the temperatures was like 36 to 40 degrees in the daytime. Some days we'd get very little done because it was just so intense, the heat. Um, but after three weeks, there was only two of us left. We were the last two. And on the last day, when we finished it, everything we could do, there were some kids coming and asked if they was allowed to play on it. And the guy let them play on it. And we got a photograph with the kids playing and ours. And it, yeah, just one of them situations again where you think, I built that. I've done a bit of good. Is it all right that I that I feel proud of myself in this case? Yeah. Um, and it no, it was yeah, awesome. I guess so. Pardon? I said, yeah, I guess so. You could oh, feel good sorry. because you've done a good deed. Yeah. No, it felt like it. Um, it felt like it, and there was nothing like that in the whole town. In fact, he said that there was, the the owner said there was nothing like that all across, all across the country. There's things like that for the kids didn't exist. Um, and he, him as a, a Western guy um, from Belgium, said it was something he was looking to do. Ultimately, I think it was to promote his own nursery, but this was something that anybody could have could have used. Mm. And yeah, it was good. It was good. Have you seen pictures of it, Josh? No, I, I don't think I've seen anything from your travelling. Right. I don't. I don't. This is um, all. This is all new to me. Because I didn't even know what countries you went to. Because really? I listed the wrong ones. But to me, this is all. This is all new. So I, that's why I, <laughs> I'm really interested in it. Like, and I'm not talking as much because right. I, I want. I want to know what it was like to do all this because it just sounds amazing. Yeah. No, it was. It really was. Right, Josh, it's your right. question. It's not, it's George, it's George. George. Right. I think he's a bit so, behind, though. What would you, what was your dream job? Oh, right, change the topic. Right, when I was your age, we had, like, careers. 
sessions where we'd go and sit with we a teacher who taught something else. I think mine was an RE teacher, but she taught like there was a class that was like human studies, just basically teaching you a little bit about life. Um, and she was also the careers counselor or something was her, her title. And I always said the same thing every time they said to me, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? And my answer was very simple. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And I never had any clue. The one, the one thing that I always said is I don't want to be stuck in the same place doing the same thing every single day. Um, because I honestly, I had no clue. I didn't know what I could possibly be. I didn't know what I enjoyed doing. I didn't know what I would want to aspire to. So it was just a case of, I don't know, but I don't want to be doing the same thing every single day. And then my first real job was in a call centre. Hmm. So did you feel like did you feel like you weren't going in the path that you that you wanted to go on? You didn't know what you wanted the path to be, but you felt like you were going off it. Um, or did you feel like that helped you get to the job went, you are now? I, no, no, not the early part, no. Um, as I say, when I was at, I, as soon as I was 16 and I was old enough to work, I applied for a job because I wanted to work. I wanted my own money. And yeah. I'm now... You know, I'm 37 this year, and from being 16 to being 37, there's four weeks, other than when I went travelling, there's four weeks of my whole life I haven't had a job. And when I say I didn't have a job, I was, straight away, I was getting short-term, you know, daily work and things like that, yeah. because I can't sit down and do nothing. So I've always worked, and I can't say even even the job I'm doing now, I can't say I've ever thought, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that. Yeah. There's aspects of the job I'm doing now that I think, yeah, and that will tie in with, with what we've been talking about so far. But, no, I never had any clue. And I suffered in my early adulthood because of that. I didn't have a great deal of money. I couldn't really afford to move out. I couldn't – there was a lot of things I couldn't do. But at the same time, there was a lot of things I could do. I enjoyed the holidays with the lads and I enjoyed all that kind of stuff. Um, but but no, I never had a clue. And I think partly was because I didn't want to be told, oh, you should do this or you should do that. I just didn't know. So I never made a decision and I never got stuck in something that, that I didn't really want to do, but I had to endure it. And I think there were some people I went to school with who, who did that, who, who either got pushed or made a you know, an off-the-cuff decision to do something. Mm. And then that became what they were or, or what they were doing. I've never done that. Yeah. Um, so, keeping on the jobs topic, so how how did you get into your line of work? Because it's quite, it's quite different to, like, a call centre. Yeah, no. Um, I work for the same company that Grandad works for. But... Mm. Um, Grandad's worked for, for, for the managing director of this company in in two or three businesses now, but he has worked for him for way over 20 years. Yeah. And we all know Grandad likes to chat. Yeah. So, needless to say, the boss knew about me, knew what I was up to. He'd known all about my travelling exploits through Southeast Asia. And 
when when Grandad was sixty, my present for 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 my dad for for Grandad was. I took him a couple of days guided fishing on Lake Windermere. Yeah. And we had a great time. But that was all a couple of weeks before his birthday. And when it comes to his birthday, his 60th, um, I had to give him something. So yeah. I written him a like an imitation article from one of the fishing magazines. Yeah. As if, you know, it had been it had been printed and things. And that was just a momentum to give to a memento to, yeah. to give to him. And he took that in and give it to the boss for him to read. And at that time I was working in, I was working in a testing lab. I basically set fire to things for a living, which is as cool as it sounds at times. Um, obviously the environment was a bit treacherous and yeah. things. But... Wouldn't, be, wouldn't be good for me and George as we're both asthmatic. No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Um, but, the boss come back to, to my dad and said, listen, I've just read this. This is a fantastic piece. It's written, you know, in such a professional way. Um, is he still, is, is your lad still working at that fire testing lab, working to this standard and that standard and, and BS and ISO, etc., etc." Uh, um, and my dad said, yeah, that's what he's doing. Um, and he asked if I'd be interested in going for an interview. And my dad's first words out of his mouth was, he doesn't know anything about engineering. And the boss responded by saying, no, but I've read this. I've heard stories. And I know what he's working, his standards that he's working to, um, and the complexities of the job he's doing. And the job we want him to come in to speak about involves travel. And... I know full well some of his travel exploits. He said, and I'm asking you because if you say, yeah, he can do it, I'll, I'll, I'll believe fully he can do it. He said, if you say, no, he can't do it, then that's where the conversation ends. So I got, I got an interview because my dad knew the boss. Yeah. But it wasn't until after I finished my first interview, the managing director, who my dad's known, wasn't in the interview. Yeah. It was somebody else. Um, and it wasn't until the end of the first interview when the guy said to me, what was it that made you apply for this role? And I said, well, I got asked to. Bye. And, and I said the guy's name. And he's like, oh, do you know him? I said, well, my dad works here. He's like, oh, my God. Yeah, the surname. He said, I had no idea. So I got the job because... No, I got the interview because my dad knew the boss. Yeah. But I, but I eventually, I, I, I was told I got the job because of how I interviewed. Yeah. And when I said earlier on I learned about communication, the one thing that came out of my interview was I could communicate at every single level. In my first interview, I had the people in there laughing. I had them you know, asking me questions about the topics. They were getting enthralled in the topics I was talking about and very quickly thinking, oh, God, we need to go back to the questions. Yeah. It was it, it was a good interview. And, again, communication because, you know, I'd have learned how to do it through travelling and things like that. Yeah. Well, that sounds that sounds like... Well, like, it's great that... Because that, Grandad talks all the time that you got the opportunity to get the interview... <laughs> 
um and then just with how you are because like you you knew that you didn't get the job because of granddad you got it because of yourself and how how you portray yourself yeah well that's kind of the nail on the head yeah yeah so but that is how i got into it so you um you travel to a lot of places now um where yeah. where where's the main places you've traveled to to work because i remember there was a time around october where i think you were just going like country to country and just keep going f- through a list yeah. and what's it like traveling through covid as well okay there's a lot of questions there then what was the first one okay um countries that you've been to with working okay um far-flung countries i've been all over the states I've been to China many times. I've been to India. I've been to South Korea. Um, majority of the countries in Europe I've visited. Um, there are some Middle Eastern countries that's on the horizon, which I can't say I'm looking forward to going, but I will have to. Yeah. Uh, that kind of sums all of them up. Yeah. Um, Travelling with covid the the company was great for me um they they at the beginning of covid it, this time last year actually um last march i was supposed to be in china and at the end of january when covid was was kicking off over there i raised the alarm in work saying this is going to be a big problem and we very quickly moved to suspend all travel and for the majority of last year i didn't travel at all but to come to the end, we had the industry that we're in is, is pharmaceutical manufacturing. So the drugs need to be made regardless of pandemics. Yeah. So we had customers who were literally desperate for, for site work. Um, and towards the end of the year, when we came into quarter four, I was asked if I would consider traveling again. And I said I would but on my own terms. And that terms was ultimately. I ain't going through any airports. I don't want to be rubbing shoulders with with dozens, if not hundreds of people, Mm. and then sitting in a tin can with recirculated air when this thing is, you know, it's an airborne disease and and that's how it's transmitted. So they were quite happy with that. Um, They were just relieved that I was willing to go and instead of flying everywhere I drove when I went off and did a 6,000 mile road trip yeah. to Europe, capturing as many customers as I could. Yeah. Um, just, just me and my transit van. And yeah. it was, it, it was hard work and it was tiring, but it was good fun. And yeah. it was, it was on my terms with the window open and the fresh air. And, yeah. and that was the only way I was going to travel under COVID. Yeah. And in that sense, it wasn't a huge amount of difference. There was a bit more questioning at some of the borders, but, in mainland Europe, there's no borders anyway. Yeah. Well, I've got a, a list of from when we were talking, when you'd been in, um, you was in Denmark. So you'd been, so obviously yeah. UK, and then like literally France, Belgium, Netherlands, Germany, Denmark, Sweden, Poland. Like, yeah. just just in a row. Yeah, literally. Well, I went kind of in a circle um, in Europe. Um, and then made my way back home. Um the last customer actually cancelled because the COVID um, situation got considerably worse uh, mm. in Poland. Actually, I never made it to Poland because of that. But at that point, when that happened, I was already in. What was I? I was in Stockholm in Sweden. Yeah. Um, 
And that was the last trip. And by that point, I'd been away for three weeks. So when the last customer cancelled, I was actually relieved. Because yeah. with the weekend coming up, it was going to mean a whole other week just to see the one customer. And when they cancelled, I just turned the van round and pointed it home and away I came. So when I got back here and I, uh, I pulled a little trick on, on, on the missus, I had her out in the street looking at, at the car to find out something, the registration or something, I don't know. And I pulled yeah. up next to her in, in the van and she thought I was still in, in Europe. Yeah. And she didn't even recognise it was me. <laughs> but... Yeah, yeah, I surprised her when I was made up to be home. I really was. I'd had enough by the end of it. But yeah, it, it was still. It's one of them experiences. Yeah, again. Well, you you may be relieved to know that we've finished the whole traveling and work topic. Um, now it's a few. Now it's a couple of stories that we'd like to talk about. Um, oh, just dear. just some ones, just some ones that Mum wanted to throw in, um, and then about influences and fishing and things like that so okay um i'll start with so this is just a random one that mum threw in i I don't understand it but she said that you stole an egg out of grandma's house and planted it in the garden so what was you trying to achieve (laughs) oh do you know what that i was probably growing a chicken 12 when i did that and I've, do you know what? I'll tell the truth about it now for the first time ever. It's only 25 years later. Um, <laughs> everybody thought that I'd done it trying to plant it to see if a, a tree had grow. But it was nothing to do with that at all. Me and some of the mates were, we were going to head out and egg some houses because that was about as excited and as ruthless as it got in Burtonwood. So I got them in the daytime and, and put them in the garden and then got busted. So it never <laughs> happened. So that'll be the first. Well, that'll be the first time my mum's heard it. Your mum, your nan, <laughs> your granddad. Yeah. Oh. Probably. Granddad would have killed oh. you. He would have just oh, killed no. you. Could you imagine if I'd have got caught doing that? Oh, he would have. He would have. <laughs> I don't, no, I don't even want to imagine. He would have just battered you, like. Yeah. Um. So now the egg question's done. George has a. George has a question. Oh, well, I'll start with yeah, kind I of do. question thing. Okay. Um, I, I've been told this. Um, so, Grandma took him and his cousins to Blackpool for a holiday with an Uncle Neil, <laughs> which is you. Obviously. That. I was I was nine. Go on. <laughs> uh, what was it like being the only lad? Right. Well, this is this is there's a double edged sword within this. Um, just to flesh out the story a little bit, I was nine, maybe ten, but I think I was nine. Um, I'm the only lad in regards to the cousins. All of the cousins, all all of my nan's grandkids, with the exception of one, but he's a lot older. Um, they're all girls, and they were all older than me at the time. And Nan took us to Blackpool for the weekend. Uh, and we stayed in the typical, you know, terrible Blackpool B&B. Yeah. And on the, the Friday night, I think it was, Nan took us all out. And she took us into a bar. I'll not mention the name. You never know who's going to end up listening. Um... And it was, oh, they'll have music on, we'll have a good time. And we did. 
I was age nine going drink for drink with my nan <laughs> and all the girl cousins only my nan was buying a drink and sharing it between me and her and it wasn't there wasn't no Diet Coke um, my nan was going by oh. bottles of Newcastle brown ale and we were drinking them between us <laughs> so here's me age nine or ten I must have had six or seven half a bottles of Newcastle brown ale I was having a whale of a time thing is all the cousins amazingly even though they were only 13 14 15-ish they were actually getting served at the bar good old Blackpool um, <laughs> and yeah that was like the introduction to a party life and this and is it was my nan and this is grandma and this is Cameron wanting to go to Blackpool <laughs> Yeah. Fair enough. No, they, they, <laughs> we, could, they could be worse. That's an inside. That it's, that's a bit of an inside joke, but we can touch on that another time with him. Okay. Yeah. No, there could be worse Blackpool stories that, that your mum would have told you guys about. Um, but yeah, that was that was the event of Blackpool. Um, yeah, age nine, getting drunk with my nan, drinking Newcastle brown ale. The other part of that question was being the only lad. Yeah, that was a challenge because going back even before that, I don't play dolls. I'm yeah. Not that kind of lad. Um, what what was it like? It was a challenge, like most things in life. It was a challenge. Yeah. But me being me, I have I've flipped that on its head somewhat by growing up in and around so many girls. And bear in mind holidays, school holidays, summer holidays, all that kind of stuff. We were all together, usually all terrorising me nan and granddad. Um, I did have lab mates as well, but I had to go to nans yeah. when I was young, and that that's just what happened. But yeah, I, I flipped that round, and with hindsight, I definitely learned a hell of a lot from having so many girl cousins. Yeah. I learned a hell of a lot. And it stood me in good stead, let's say, yeah. going forward. Going forward. I understand a bit more, I think, about women. And I'm going to blame all of them for that. Yeah. So if they think you do anything wrong, then then they can blame themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yep. this is getting onto dodgy territory now. We'll, we're, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna this. we're gonna move on. We're gonna move on. Um, so, we're gonna want to talk about like influences in your life. So, okay, who who do you feel has like had one of the biggest influences on your life and how how you act and someone that's maybe quite special to you that's made you look at things a different way. In general, uh, it's obviously only ever going to be my dad. Um, granddad Josh um, I am the way I am because of how both my parents um, have brought me up but I am like my dad even down to I get it I get it round round, you know I get it in the neck off various people I am very much like my dad Um, Positives and negatives, let's say. But the positives far outweigh 
outweigh the negatives. Um, I'm just that kind of guy who'll get up and do it. Yeah. And not everybody's like that. And I, I didn't know that. I thought everybody was like that. But it's only now I've grown up a bit. Stuff I'll get up and do before breakfast. Yeah. Other people, and I'm talking like physical stuff, you know. Act, yeah. Getting involved, getting stuck in, doing a job or doing something or getting something done. Um, yeah. I'll get up and do that and, and crack on as if it's normal. And there's been many occasions in life where I've done something that just doesn't mean anything to me. And other people are like, wow, oh my God, how have you done that? How do you know how to do that? Why Why do you do that? And I'm like, well, it's just what you do. Well, in fact, it's not just what you do. Yeah, It's what I do as a result of the influences of, of my dad bringing me up the way I have. Yeah, where he has. So, yeah, definitely, without no question. Mm. Um, my dad is the biggest influence for sure. Yeah. Oh, I guess that answers one of my questions, don't you think, Josh? Um. Yeah, probably. But you could. You could. There's still one before that. Yeah. Oh. Um. Who was your first ever? Fishing trip with. Why are you talking like yeah. that? Where did you go? First ever fishing trip. Oh. Right. Um. Two two kind of parts to this. My earliest fishing memory was actually on the canal at the back of Mucky Mountains. Oh yeah. Um, and it was me and my dad. That's my first ever fishing memory. I can't even remember if, if we caught anything. I don't know if I went down uh, to fish with my dad or whether my dad was there and, and we went for a walk with, with mum. I'm not too sure. But I remember being in a particular place on the canal. Um, my dad was fishing. Don't remember even if I was fishing, to be honest. But I just I remember this and I can remember it dead vividly in my head. Um, but my first fishing trip... That was a little bit different. My my earliest fishing trip that I recall was there was loads of us and we took off up to Scotland. Um, my dad, my uncle John, um, the other John, um, another uncle, a few other people, and their sons. and And there was a big old group of us and we went up to a place in in Scotland, um, Castle Lock. And I think I was six, and there began my fishing education. Yeah, a whole weekend of it, sleeping on the bank. Hmm. I'm terrible at fishing. I just, <laughs> I just not, I just not. I've, I've done it a couple of times at my cousin's lake, but it's just I don't have the patience no. to just wait. <sighs> It's funny because there's places you can go now where you don't need patience, and that's also part of the problem. People get spoilt by it, and it's it might be something that's bred into you. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well. So, Josh, did it answer the other question then? Well, yeah, it's on the list. Okay. <laughs> So, would you say has the has influ has influenced you the most when it comes to fishing? 
oh, when it comes to fishing. Ah, I see. I see why why George might have thought he's already answered this one, but no, yeah. this is that's a for me that's an entirely different question. Obviously, my dad's had a huge influence on me fishing. And if yeah. it wasn't for my dad, I would never never have fished. But a lot of the time when I was younger, um, my dad would always work a lot of overtime, so fishing on a Sunday wasn't something that was a, a priority for me dad it was earning the money to pay for things like the holidays and everything else that was going on so a massive influence on my fishing was was my uncle john um uncle john sadly died last year um and and it, you know when he died it, you, you start thinking back and the amount of people who i had conversations with regarding my uncle john and every single story was fishing and you sit there and think, I remember it used to be, because he used to always come down to mum and dad's on a, on a Saturday night, Uncle John and Auntie Barb, who were not actually real uncles and aunties, but I think they're the only people who I call Uncle John and Auntie Barb. Yeah. All the other aunties and uncles I, just I get even, called by I the even, name. I even call them Uncle, call them Uncle John and Auntie Barb. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? I think with regards to what we call fake aunties and uncles, um, they're people who are not obliged to be part of your family, but because they choose to be, or, or or your parents choose them to be, you know, it's a different relationship. So, no, when when my dad was working a lot of overtime, I'd wait there for Uncle John to come on a Saturday night just to find out if we could go fishing the next day. And for a number of years, I think I fished so much more with my Uncle John than with my dad because dad was doing overtime yeah. and i think a lot of the influences in my fishing originally came from from my dad and then my uncle john and then anybody and everybody who, who i was going fishing with to be honest um the other john who we mentioned you know he, he used to go and spend a lot of time in france so a lot of my early carp fishing exploits was on the back of stories of, of john coming back from france um so every every I had influences in fishing from everywhere. Yeah. So were they were the Sundays definitely something that you looked forward to? Absolutely. Monday morning I'd be looking forward to Sunday again. As much as I used to go out playing football and 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 playing a bit of rugby and you know occasionally I'd go out on Friday night and do what you do when you're in school on Friday night. It was all about Sunday morning for me. Um, it was all about going the next time I was going fishing. Yeah. So, like, what 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 fish did you did you mainly catch? Um, it's funny. I I did it a lot more the traditional way. When I first used to start going fishing, it was anything just yeah. fishing with the maggot and catching small fish. Yeah. Um, then it was pike fishing because my dad and and Uncle John and, and and John was all into the pike fishing. So, my first specimen fish which are what we call you know big the bigger fish of the species yeah um was was always pike fishing but what ended up happening is carp fishing became a big thing i think when i was nine so it seems like i've already done a lot by this point but when i was nine um uh, my uncle john bought me a, a limb angler's permit because he just got one and we didn't have that one up until that point and i remember going out and catching my first ever carp by design and from then onwards, for a long time, it was just carp fishing, carp fishing, carp fishing, carp fishing. Yeah. 
We've actually gone back the other way now. Um, I'm now quite happy doing any kind of fishing. Yeah. And I'll I'll go and fish with the maggots and have a great day. I'll go carp fishing and usually struggle, but hopefully catch fish. Yeah. Still love me pike fishing. Um, yeah. I'm 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 a bit of everything, an all rounder, let's say. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the list of questions done. But I think I, I've got one more that I'd like to ask you about, and if George has any other ones. Um, but in the summer last year, or was it summer? I think so. yeah, I think it was like near the end. Um, we went hiking with Cam. We did. And your best mate Brian. Um, yeah. I absolutely love that. That was. A brilliant experience for me. It was something new for me that was like, well, I've done my DV, but you don't. That's not that's not the same experience as going doing something like that. Um, yeah. How how did you how did you find that? Like, how did you think that we, me and Cameron did as well, especially after the first day? Um, I was relieved you made it back down again after the first day because when you went off up that hill, I took a picture. <laughs> of it. I took a picture of you and sent it to your mum and said that might be the last we see of him. Um, it almost was. You know, I'm not gonna lie. It almost was. Um, do you know what? Really enjoyed it. And even when I speak to to, to Bri about it now, he he says exactly the same thing as me. It was great. And and both you and Cam, you 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 know, you held your own in a situation where as you was thrown in the deep end, not just with the walking, but with two apparently mature adults at the same time, and. Everything about it, you, you was eager when you needed to be eager. You was allowed to be, you know, a bit worn out and a bit done in when we were all allowed to be a bit worn out and a bit done in. But when it was time to get up and go again, we got up and went. Um, we had a good old chat as well in the pub when we was having dinner. Yeah. Talking about all kinds of stuff. Um, I think both me and Bryce said we both learned stuff off you guys, mm. which we didn't expect. Um. And I think you guys probably learnt a fair bit off off yeah. Bry and 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 a, and a bit off me, and you heard a few stories. And I think yeah. I think it's safe to say it's probably the first time in a long time that 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 we spent a, a serious amount of time together. Yeah, and it was good. Yeah. And although it didn't happen, it did make us decide we were gonna do more of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but I think just. Covid and 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 work and things like that kind yeah. of kicked back in again and then we ran out a year. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, it's definitely but, it's definitely a plan for at some point. You know, I'd like to do yeah. something again, but obviously, you know, work and and you know, well, school's not on, but it would have been school and you know, it's when you can find time as well. Yeah, no, I mean, it will happen. It's about it's not about finding time; it's about making time. Mm. Um, and. You know, you guys, when you was talking about it on your podcast, you was having a good old laugh and a good old, you know, yeah, a good reminisce about it. So, no, it's important. And I spent a lot of time with, with older people when I was growing up with me fishing, and that stood me well. So I don't think there's going to be any harm come to any of you lot if you if you come out and we yeah. do trips and we do this, that, and the other. And from a from a, a parental perspective, I am semi-responsible, so nothing that your parents need to worry about, I don't think. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say there was anything to worry about. Hey, let's uh, just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that is that is that's my last question, George. Do you have any you'd like to ask him quickly, or? I'm, I'm afraid not. No, nothing coming to my mind. Um, Uncle Neil, do you have any that you'd like to ask us before we end it off? Uh, 
Yeah, I have. I've got a couple. Yeah. Um, I've got one one for George. And I'm I... just wondering how much is he missing the Trafford Centre? <laughs> oh. oh, very, very. Uh, I, can't, I, can't, I can't say how much I'm missing it, to be honest. Going 15 oh, times a month, aren't you, mate? To get out. 15 times a month, oh, was it, you said? To get out. 15 times a month, yeah. Every other day. <laughs> He's not been that in his life. <laughs> He's not been that in his life. <laughs> yes, he have. Yes, he have. He's yes, not, he have. Oh, <laughs> my goodness. I have. I have. I, honest to God, I have. Honest to God. <laughs> wherever it is, we're down. What do you mean, wherever your heart is? You don't know where your heart is in your body. <laughs> no, no, because it's there. But I, I, I have my hand like there, didn't I? He's just trying to make a joke, you know. Well, I think I think George clearly misses the Trafford Centre. No, don't we all, mate? Um, a question for you, Josh. Yeah. Do all your mates know that you used to be an Everton fan? Because you bang on about being a Liverpool fan now. I'm guessing by the reaction I've just seen on uh, George's face on the camera there that he didn't know that. Oh, no, oh no. <laughs> Let me explain. Let me explain. explain. When I was, I, when I, I, I only started liking football when I was ten. I only started playing when I was ten. I didn't. I hated it. I used to absolutely hate it because I, I was rugby. I was Warrington and all that. So when I, when I was younger, I mean, Andy, uh, stepdad supported Everton. So yeah. and then my dad supported Liverpool, but. I always did the rugby with my dad. I had Liverpool kits when I was younger, when I was little. I think I also had an Everton kit that Andy had got me, but I don't know the difference then. I'm like, what, four or five? Um, so the rugby was something I'd always did. I'd always done with my dad. And then it was like, well, Andy supported Everton. So I just went that way. I had an Everton toothbrush, yes, but that's it. And I was probably an Everton fan for like a couple of months. But... Ah, I remember a conversation with you. I remember a conversation with you because your granddad... Uh, your dad's dad was an Everton fan, wasn't he? Yeah, he was an Everton fan as well. So that was and also remember, another thing. I remember a conversation with you and you said to me, well, Grandad supports Everton, Dad supports Liverpool, and I'm going to support Everton, so me and my granddad are both Everton. Oh, did I say that? Uh, yes, you did. I don't even yes, remember you that. Did. You was only a kid, obviously. But, yeah, you was an Everton fan. And... I'll never forget it because I remember when you then suddenly became a Liverpool fan and I thought, that is going to come in handy. You're like the Steven Gerrard. I've seen a picture of him the other day in his Everton kit with the, uh, uh, I think it was the FA Cup and the Charity Shield either side of him and I thought, hang on a minute, Steven Gerrard, the Everton fan. I know somebody else like that and then two days later you asked me if I'd come on a podcast and I thought... Well, there we go. The fi- the fi- the thing that I bring that up. I remember I remember the part where it kind of went back to because I started a Liverpool fan. I had a Liverpool kit, um, but the thing that like kind of took me back is I'm pretty sure I was supposed to go to a cup final, I think, um, with right. my dad. I think he got tickets and it was a Liverpool one, and I said I didn't want to go. <laughs> right. Because I decided because because, because I decided that I was an Everton fan, so my dad right. my dad said to me, "I got you the tickets, so we like you're an Everton fan now." 
And I was like, oh, so we ended up giving the tickets to one of the lads that I played football with, him and his dad. And then that was kind of when I was like, oh, well, I can do this stuff, this stuff with my dad as well. And that's when I went back. But thank you for dipping me in there. And nope, my mates, my mates will not live that down. Thank you. Thank you. My, no, they're not. They're not going to show up about that now. Oh, I'm going to give you a show. Absolutely, my pleasure. I mean, I was going to go on about the football results from last night. I don't even want to talk about it. But the fact that you guys, <laughs> the thing the is, the fact though, that you guys got beat one nil and we won nine nil the night before is is fantastic. But I also remember last week as well. To so, be fair, since. We'll, since footballs came back as well, like from the first lockdown since it's came back, I, I've kind of just lost my interest in it. Like I keep up with the transfers and that because I like the 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 media side of it and like you know delving into the links and things like that. I find that interesting, but the actual watching it, yeah. I've just I've just lost all appeal for it. I just feel like it. I just I just feel like it's it's just missing something. I don't know what's missing, but I feel like I've just kind of lost that in, in general. But that for me, that's in general with just football. So it's not necessarily professional football. It's Sunday league as well. I just feel like in general, I've I've just kind of lost something in me with the the drive to to want to play all the time. Where I used to be every single day, football, 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 and now I'm quite happy to. Oh well, not quite happy to because I do miss it. But like, I'm I'm not to the point of like, oh, I'll just go kick a ball. As much as I used to be. It'll come back. I'm sure it will. You'll be happy to know, George, just put in our group chat that Josh, that uh, you said that I'm an Everton <laughs> fan. Well, you're welcome. Thank you very much. Uh... Right, well, unless you have unless you have any other questions, or if you'd like yeah, us... I, well, I've got, I've got one more statement, and it relates to one of the previous podcasts. Um... Oh God! When you had your dad on, and he was talking about your dad's hairstyle, um, I do have to say them curtains that he used to have, <laughs> bleach blonde curtains, mate, you, you'd disown him. You'd disown Please don't him. cause beef. Um, <laughs> Please don't cause anything. Yeah, yeah them bleach blonde <laughs> curtains. Wow. Now I reckon he'd agree if he saw the picture, but. <laughs> This track season, wow. he very quickly, very quickly passed over that, and I know why. <laughs> it made me laugh. It really did. Oh, oh, right. Well, and he, mentioned oh. Citroen, he, he mentioned his Citroen. He mentioned his Citroen AX, and I have a memory of that one as well. And it was him coming picking me up once from Newton High Street when I'd had, I was sixteen and I'd been in the pub and had my first proper night out on my own with my mates, and thinking I was Terry Ten Men had something nine pints of Stella. And threw them all up out your dad's Citroen AX window, all down the side of his car on the way home. <laughs> I bet he was fuming. Um, oh, I think he kind of laughed it off, but, but Grandad wasn't fuming when I was telling him, "No, I've not had a drink." Waving <laughs> from side to side because I couldn't stand up straight when I got back in. <laughs> no, I haven't had a drink. <laughs> That's exactly it's because it's a podcast; they can't see George just waving side to side. <laughs> <laughs> but he was. Yeah. So is that is that is that the last thing that you had for us or? Um, just a, a closer. You, you know what, lads, you're doing a cracking job. Um, I never thought I'd have sat and listened to hours and hours and hours of fifteen and sixteen year olds chatting away 
on a podcast, yeah. but I do, and I listen to it all the time. And it's got the right amount of intrigue, intelligence, and just that little bit of kiddish in it that, that we all still have, regardless yeah. of being nearly 37. So keep it up, boys. It's it's good yeah. listening. Yeah, that definitely, you, that you definitely means... You appreciate it very much. Yeah, that definitely means a lot to hear. Right. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for coming on, Cornelia. It's been great having you. No, it's been a pleasure. Um, you just so you're aware, you forgot to name your sponsor at the beginning. No, no, I had that in as a separate bit. So oh, just so you're aware, just so you're aware, it's pre-recorded. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. right, nice well, one, boys. Yeah, thank you very much for coming. No problem. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. Uh, we'll see you next time.